0: Well, hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. I really appreciate your showing up. I know that you have lots of things you could be doing with your time and I really appreciate that you're here. And today we have an unusual episode. It's a recording of a conversation I had with Laura Cox Kaplan who if you listen to episode 199, she's the diva of influence. She's based in the DC area and has this blue chip background. And she interviewed me on her podcast. And I want to tell you what it's about right now. So you can decide if you want to listen to it or not. But really, we talked about why doing great work is not enough. And that's a big lesson that Highly conscientious, high performers is a lesson that doesn't come naturally to us because we are kind of trained from school that when you do good work, you get an A. And you do really good work and you might get an A+. Plus. And if you went to grammar school, high school, that's 12 years plus four years of college. And maybe you got a master's or two master's or maybe you've gotten like seven certifications. I know a lot of you out there probably do have at least three certifications. And so you have experienced uh, studying, doing the work, getting a good grade and passing the test. And then it doesn't work that way in a meeting in a corporate environment. So this conversation with Laura cox Camplin, she's interviewing me, but that's the theme of our work. The theme of our conversation is why just doing good work isn't enough and what you do need to do and how to toot your own horn in a way without being obnoxious how to talk about your work in a good way. So I hope you'll listen to it. And I hope you will think of somebody, maybe a junior person on your team, or maybe you have a nephew or a kid in college, like the earlier you can get this message, the better you're off. That's for sure. You don't have to be slow like I was. And before I shared the conversation, I want you to know this is brought to you by my free class polish your pitch which helps you ask for things and if you don't ask for things you're not going to get them and furthermore people assume that you're perfectly happy with the status quo if you don't speak up in fact if you have something to say and you don't speak up about it then you're sabotaging your own self and you can't blame other people you can get your idea shot down i've had that happen many times i've been greeted with silence But that's how you get better. That's how you become articulate. But you can shortcut that painful learning curve by taking this 30-minute class called Polish Your Pitch. And it's free. And I've heard a lot of compliments about it. It's just a little process of preparing and asking for things. So anyway, here we go into the interview with Laura Cox Kaplan and me, two Lauras, talking to each other. Talk to you later. (music)
1: Hey friend, welcome to episode 254 of She Said, She Said podcast. I am really, really happy to have you here. Here is our topic today. Tell me if this sounds anything like you. You put your head down and you work, 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 and folks often tell you, you are the hardest worker that we have on this team, but... All of that work, work, work hasn't necessarily led to big promotions for you. So what gives? Or maybe that big idea that the team decided to pursue was actually yours, but you find that you aren't getting any of the credit for it. What could you have done differently? Or maybe you've been laid off and your boss explained that it was because the company isn't clear on what you actually do all day and what value you provide. Ouch, it really hurts, right? Or (laughs) I'll give you one more scenario. Maybe you're considering a career pivot, but you're finding that folks don't fully understand what you do or the value that you provide to the organization. What then? Okay, all of these challenges may boil down to a single reason. How effectively or not, you're communicating not just the work itself, but the value that you're providing, and also how you think about and communicate your value, not just to the team, but also more broadly. Now, if you are a regular listener of She Said, She Said podcast, first of all, thank you so much, you already know that a particularly important dimension needed to build and sustain your influence is story. The power of story applies in how we think about our value and how we communicate it and how it helps us create more visibility for for the value that we are already providing. Now, today's conversation is actually another encore episode, but it's one that I have especially loved. Well, to be fair, I love all of them, but I really love this one because I am joined by the fabulous communications coach and fellow podcaster, Dr. Laura Camacho. Laura is the author of a great book. It's called The Practical Guide to Effective Communications, and she's the host of Speak Up with Laura, a terrific podcast. One of Laura's particular specialties is helping those people who might identify as introverts to more effectively communicate their contribution and ultimately the value of their work laura and i dive deep into this topic and you are going to get some great tools and great advice for not only communicating your value but doing it in a way that helps you build more visibility and ultimately more influence Now, getting to know Laura for me has been a tremendous joy and we have found that there is so much synergy between our two podcasts that we actually did a podcast exchange, which was a lot of fun. I will be sharing more about my own appearance on Laura's podcast. Again, it's called Speak Up With Laura, so stay tuned for that. It'll be coming up in a few weeks. For now, though, here is my encore Conversation episode two hundred and fifty-four with the fabulous "Speak Up with Laura" podcast host, Doctor Laura Camaccio. Laura, welcome to She Said She Said. Well, I am
0: thrilled to be here, Laura. It's great to be with someone with such a lovely name. Oh, thank you so much, (laughs) and I'm honored to be on the She Said She Said podcast.
1: Well, I'm happy to have you. I am a big fan of "Speak Up with Laura," your podcast. We're doing a bit of a podcast exchange to share this with our listeners. You're joining me on She Said, She Said podcast. And then at some future point, I will be joining you on Speak Up with Laura because we found that we have so much in common in talking about influence and communications and the overlap between those two. So I am really, really thrilled to have you here. Laura, let's jump right in and let's talk about maybe to level set the conversation how you think about the link between effective communication and influence and i realize that's a really big topic but maybe talk about the impact that effective communication can have on helping someone build her influence
0: oh absolutely it's it's so important and you know the, the thing about our business, you know, the communication business or helping people to communicate better is so important. And yet there is this little bit of a stigma and that we're sugarcoating things, that we're spinning things, that a quiet person can't be influential because they don't speak up enough or all kinds of things along that line where the influence and then the actual contribution are like two buckets. And, you know, what I want to do is to help the people who are adding value, creating great things, you know, making the world a better place. A lot of times they're just working away and people don't know about it. And that can be in a company and a nonprofit. It can be a stay-at-home mother, you know, working at home. And there can be people with lots of influence, but you think, well, what are they actually doing for the world? I don't know. So it's it's a matter of trying. It's a way of helping when a person who has competence and who is doing good things has influence, then that person inspires other people to follow suit. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what we want to do. We want to empower and equip people who may be Just like I'm good at communication coaching, I'm not necessarily good at finance and, you know, the business side of things. So we want to help the people who are doing good work in the world to show up in a way that represents the contribution that they're making so that they can inspire and help other people to do the same. That's the way I see
1: it. What do you think? I love that. I absolutely love that. And it gets to this notion that you and I talked about offline related to visibility, And Mm -hmm. the importance of making sure that people know what you're doing. You know, historically, and this is, again, it's a broad generalization that I'm going to throw out there. So some people won't like that. That's okay. Because it is true in a lot of cases. And that is that sometimes women may be less inclined to toot their own horn, to talk about their accomplishments, to sort of brag on themselves in an appropriate way.
0: Absolutely. I've seen that. So I mean, it's not only women, but yes, it is disproportionately women. It is.
1: Yeah, it it is. You tend to see it more in women than men, even though men do it too. I think is probably a better way to to say what I just said. But maybe talk about your clientele and how you help them, sort of the role of visibility as it relates to influence and how you help them get more comfortable talking about their accomplishments, talking about their work in an appropriate way.
0: Oh, uh, so glad you asked that question. I, I am just fascinated and obsessed right now with the concept of visibility because I would say five years ago I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I knew influence, of course, and impact, but the what has happened in my neck of the woods is that having so many coaching conversations over the years with highly conscientious, high performers. And trust me, if they don't have problems with visibility or influence, they don't come to me because why would they, right? It's the quieter people who are feel like they have an issue with that. And hearing through all these conversations how visibility holds people back, even though their work may be amazing, and often it is. And I'm going to give you a very juicy example that I got from a conversation with a client just yesterday. I mean, talk about great timing. Every, You know how life throws lemons at you all the time and we're busy <laughs> making margaritas, but every once in a while you get, you know, like, that was really helpful. Anyway, this is a woman, you know, like off the charts, brainiac, has a PhD in something like AI. I mean, just off the charts. Super smart, and she has a senior engineering position in a very top top company. And they, like a lot of companies right now, are talking about reorgs. You know, looking for ways to optimize their bottom line, and their you know that's ending up in layoffs mm-hmm. and often laying off people who are good. Sure, but it just you know it's just not the right place or for whatever reason. And listen to this, she told me. That there was a that they had earmarked some engineers to be let go or to be at least considered, you know, in that bucket because they didn't speak up enough in meetings. Oh, wow. And that's not even one of their criteria for, you know, the, the, what they're graded on mm-hmm. in their performance. Read. Oh, wow. And yet that was being used against them. Why? Well, because. Letting go of people is not easy. Deciding, you know, at the end of the day, like, like, say you have two communication coaches, Laura and Laura, like, which one do I let go? They're both good. You know, one's but probably better with one aspect than another. So you just look for some kind of criteria, and that's what they were doing. That just blew me away. How many people are working, doing great work, and they don't know... That they need to be speaking up more, right. because no the people outside of their immediate team don't know who they are, don't know what they're doing, and if they don't know, then you might as well
1: not even be there. Sure, I love that example. It's amazing. Isn't that amazing. Yes, yes, it's amazing, and it's likely to get folks' attention. Although I suspect, and you probably find this is true too, if a person's having a problem getting recognized, they know they have a problem. Most likely, I mean, maybe maybe talk about folks that come to you and some of the more common examples, I would think that folks that had been laid off in the example that you just shared would be prime candidates for coming to Lara Camuccio for some coaching on communication strategies, right? So, but maybe talk a little bit about your clientele and who comes to you and why and sort of how you start the process of helping them.
0: Oh, love that. Yeah. Because I learned like when I started this in 2009, like nobody knew what a communication coach was. I mean, that was like, there was a public speaking coach. That was a thing, but communicate like, what do you do? Laura? Right. <laughs> so I am super happy to give the examples. And I think it was really, you know, Susan Kane with her groundbreaking book, The Power of Quiet, I believe, right. really legitimized the value that introverts add to the workforce. I think that was a big change in our, how we perceive people. I think Dale Carnegie, you know, God bless him. How to win Great friends person. and influence people. Yes, yes. And I needed that book. I learned a lot, super helpful, but he he like posits this model of the outspoken slap You on the back. Male. How are you doing? (laughs) Male, loud, figure as the model. And you know, I don't fit that model, and you don't fit that model. And so the people that come to me don't fit that model. So a typical example is: I mean, the most, you know, straightforward would be I have a job interview. I don't know how to sell myself. Yeah. I don't know how to a lot of people come to me with some variation of that. They say I need to you know the visibility or I, I have this job interview, I need to talk about my accomplishments, but I don't feel comfortable talking about myself or even like culturally they may have been brought up like that's bad. you're not being a good person if you're you know talking about yourself. but there's a big difference between I'm so amazing. Let me tell you the ways versus hey, Laura, I'm so excited, you know I finally got this problem solved. Oh, the meeting that I was worried about with so-and-so, it went well. Thank goodness. I'm so glad that's over with. Or, oh, Laura, my team, they figured this thing out. I'm so proud of them. You know, both of those are ways to talk about your accomplishments, but one is very different from the other, right? Absolutely. So, So that's a big thing. The thing about visibility is I think it doesn't affect you until you reach director level in a company. I think you're pretty good with your work as you move from, you know, entry level, maybe team lead, manager, but somewhere around senior manager, director, then you need people to know about you, but nobody tells you that you need people to know about you. So the people who are naturally chatty and extroverted and, you know, just talk to everybody, they have this advantage That at first, the newly promoted director may not even perceive that. And then all of a sudden, they realize, oh, people don't know me. Oh, I need, you know, in preparing, say, even a year or two ahead, my promotion to senior director, I need people who will vouch for me. And then you couple that with, oh, I hate bragging on myself. It's just this big, like, what do I do? So that's a very common, another situation would be someone needing to give feedback. You know, that's harder for some people than for others. And, you know, role-playing that, those, those are the most common scenarios that people bring to me.
1: I was really fascinated by many parts of your book, but this in particular really got my attention. And I know it relates to the work that you do with introverts. You talk about how it's not just that introverts and extroverts communicate differently, they also tend to process information differently. Uh, the whole thing. Differently. That's, Laura. Yeah. That was such a fascinating aha uh-huh for me. Maybe it should be completely obvious, but it wasn't. And I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, that's such an interesting perspective because you think about somebody who's communicating in a quiet fashion. I wasn't really thinking about necessarily the way that the person was processing. It was more the output versus the internal stuff. Talk about what you mean by that and what you've seen with your clients as it relates to that point.
0: I mean, that's the whole thing with intro. I mean, introverts and extroverts bring different gifts to the table and we need both, obviously. And extroverts, see, this is my, this is how I learned this. It was, I always thought that these people who just, you know, speak up when they're asked a question that they hadn't prepared for and they could just say something and it sounded so intelligent i thought they were smarter than i am and i thought that they were just brilliant people but this is what i learned laura that they are verbal processors and when they open their mouth they don't know what they're going to say that to me is like how can you do that but by speaking it may take them a minute but they eventually land the plane and say something that I too would have said we'll say but I would not open my mouth until I knew what I was going to say yes so and see though that's the achilles heel of the introvert is that if we're caught by surprise it's, if it's an unexpected question we need time to think about it, because introverts think before they speak. How so I have different <laughs> hacks. Right. Yeah, but you know, it's not always easy. If you can, you know, get a thought out without pre-thinking it, good for you. I mean, that's a tremendous advantage. Like in a job interview, that's why that's why introverts need or do better when they've rehearsed and they're prepared. And then when they ask the question, it, it just flows easier because it they are prepared. But an extrovert is like, you know, I'm just gonna answer the question. What what could possibly be hard about that, Laura? <laughs> but yeah, it's and so that's why introverts need to prepare they differently and you know bring a canned answer, maybe. Here's another thing about answering the questions and in the internal and external process. And here's my little analogy. So let's say, let's say that you I see you which I do see you, but we're going to pretend that you have a lemon cupcake in your hand. Okay. And I say, oh, Laura, that looks really good. Lemon's my favorite flavor. Do you mind? Can I have a little bite of your cupcake? Well, the introvert thinks, oh, my gosh, she likes lemon cake. And you say, hold on just a second. And then you run to your kitchen and bake this lemon cake. Maybe it's two layers with decoration and flowers and sprinkles. And you're like, here's, you know, two days later, here's your lemon cake. And I'm like, I just wanted to try your thing. And so the overthinking and the introvert, sometimes we think that the question needs like a doctoral dissertation answer when really the person just wants to know like, what are you thinking? This or that, hot or cold, yay or nay. So that's another aspect of the Achilles heel of the introvert is that sometimes we overthink it and, and we read like this deep, meaning into the question that's not there. So I always say, give a partial answer. What I can tell you is, you know, blah, blah, blah. The way I see it, blah, blah, blah. Instead of, oh, let me get back to you. I mean, sometimes you have to say that. But to me, when you get back to them, like it's usually like a dead fish. It's just like, they don't really care anymore, but they're not going to tell you that, but they're just not going to read what you, this extremely detailed report that you made on the issue. It just gets filed away.
1: Yeah. I think that that's so interesting as it relates to self-analysis, but it's also so incredibly interesting as you think about maybe people that you're working with, people on your team, family members, like how other people communicate and understanding that processing difference. I think it's just, that's such an interesting element. And once you recognize it, maybe, you know, what advice do you have for someone who's either an extrovert or introvert and they're communicating with someone who is the opposite? Yeah. How do you coach that person as it relates to interacting with somebody who's trying to communicate, but communicating differently? Does that make sense?
0: Right. And I'm working with people in tech, finance, a lot of introverts, but not all, and, this is the thing that the introvert is going to do so much better with a little heads up. Like if I say, Hey Laura, we're going to, you know, this meeting today, I really want to hear your input on X, Y, Z. Just that if you're the leader and if you see someone not speaking up, it's probably not because they don't have anything to say, which is the common assumption. It's because they're afraid. They don't know how to speak up. They're afraid. They, they put the pressure on themselves to deliver like a nobel prize winning answer instead of just giving like this is what i think directionally accurate be directionally accurate you don't have to be to the number to seven decimal points accurate just directionally accurate but yeah if you give the introvert heads up another thing if you're doing exercises it depends on the purpose of the meeting but there's like all kinds of little ways that you make it easier for introverts to just speak their mind and contribute because they do have good, we do have good ideas. It's just sometimes hard to get them out of us, you know, like having people write them down or making everybody answer. Like I want to hear one suggestion from every single person at this table about X, Y, Z, just understand it's that it's the brain freeze that we get when put in the spotlight that just causes so many And then once you've had one brain freeze in public, it becomes
1: hard to overcome that. Yeah. I love that answer. I love that advice. And just that perspective, I think is so. it's so interesting and so smart. Laura, I'd love for you to tell us how you got started in this work. Why were you motivated to become a communications coach and consultant and really pursue this career path?
0: Oh, Laura, that's such a good question. Well, When I started, like, I was truly making it up. But I have to go back, my early career, I moved to Caracas, Venezuela. And there I learned this is before the internet. So this was a different world, a different universe. I had married a Venezuelan. We got, we met at getting our MBAs and we moved there. And I saw that's where it really, because before I was like, say what you mean, mean what you say. Like, what else? You know, I had just, if you had said, you went to major in communications in college, I would have thought that is the stupidest, lamest thing I like only a moron would do that. <laughs> and, and that was that was my very open minded younger self. But living in a different country, you know, learning that it's not just the words, right? It's how you say it. and also, I really got in um living in Venezuela and Latin America, you see that the relationship, like you don't get a driver's license if you irritate certain people, you don't <laughs> things are very much more dependent on relationships. so then I learned that it to be less transactional and and to work on the relationship aspect i've always wanted to help people i think a lot of us we get into something that we want to help people and when i was there i wanted to help people i created i thought i was going to solve the problem of venezuela's economic development by i created a time management class that i was teaching and i became a facilitator for the seven habits of highly effective people i was just you know, somehow I got this idea that if you think differently, you get better results. And that theme carries through my life. And then, when, you know, fast forward, I ended up in eastern North Carolina, moved from a town of five million to 10,000. Nobody cared about, you know, my experience there. But I ended up getting a job teaching at communication at a university. And that's how I got the Ph.D. And, and that was really good when my kids were young. But I knew I didn't want to stay in academia. I'm just too practical. Like, I just want, you know, let's just do things that work. And so I thought, communication, everybody complains about it. What am I going to do with all that money people are going to throw at me, right, to solve this problem for them? So then I got to learn the real communication of this is why you need to hire me <laughs> and uh, and selling that, yourself that, yes <laughs> yes and so it, that was in 2009 and it's just been this journey since then of like everything that we've talked about today, I don't think I learned any of that in the PhD program, but I did learn to think about communication as a thing and see the power. Like I, I specialized in political uh, rhetoric and how how you make people feel is a big thing in, in movements and in influence and for good or not good. And so that's how You know, just going from thinking, well, I'm just going to teach people how to communicate better, how to get their meaning across. And then when Susan Cain's, I don't know what year her book was released, but that was a game changer for me because then it became, we could talk about being introverts without like being ashamed or, you know, she kind of made the case like, we need both, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you're, that take a while. And then just after so many hundreds and now over thousands of conversations you i've learned i mean i haven't had i didn't have this long corporate career but i learned by helping people who were having these corporate careers what worked and what didn't because if i don't deliver value i don't eat and that's how it came about And and then you know the book was like a deposit of everything i've learned you know up until that point so that there's a record of it and
1: I love it. Well, it, it becomes it's a great teaching tool, and it's a great summary of a lot of what... There's a lot more than what we had a chance to talk about today, but I really urge folks to get the book. There's a link in the show notes for this, along with a link to Laura's fabulous podcast, Speak Up with Laura, which you'll find there, and it really is terrific. It's one of my must-listens. And not just because I'm joining you on it, and not just because you've been here, yeah, but because I get it was guests. really I get, terrific. Yes.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And I get great guests and you know, we have very real, just like this conversation. We just talk about real yeah. things. I think that when you do that, people, it, that's what people want to hear. That's yeah. what they want. What really works? What's the real problem versus, you know, oh, okay, you need more visibility. Well, what the heck does that mean? How yes. am I, you need to speak up more how am I supposed to do that? Right? So that's, that's, that's what I think we're doing here. We're saying, well, this is how you do it. Yeah. Think of something to say, ask a question in the first 10 minutes, watch the clock.
1: Yeah. It's tactical. It's tangible. You can put it right to use. It really is. It really is terrific. Yeah. I'm curious, Laura, if you find as well that When that person that maybe is not doing as good of a job of selling themselves, that maybe their communication skills could use some work, that in their performance reviews, sometimes the reviewer, I'll pose this as a question. I'm wondering if the reviewer maybe struggles with identifying exactly what the problem is. And so the person's left with, the person who's having trouble communicating is left with, okay, I'm not really sure what I'm not doing, but my, Boss or my supervisor is telling me you need to speak up more, but I'm I don't you know I don't want to just offer nothing, right? So how do I know? And I'm curious as to whether you get that with somebody who's just scratching their head. I don't know what I'm not doing or what I could do better.
0: Right. That's this. Obviously, you have experience uh, talking to people in this situation, and it's so frustrating, right? Because usually we're talking about people who do the work. On time, beautiful, great results, and yet there's this piece that's they're not really clear about. Their boss may, some bosses have a handle on it, as, as we know. You know, your some of your bosses are going to be excellent, some are going to be mediocre, some will be not very good. That's just the, the the way it is. And your own boss may not have that savvy to know, like, oh, I need to introduce you to so and so. Oh, you should be at this meeting. So you, the thing about it is. If you make it to director, you know, the moving above that level or or building your business or at some point, you really have to take charge of your career. It's no longer about just doing what you're told and doing a good job. It's about building this arsenal of allies. And it's also about, you know, taking the ownership of making suggestions, making recommendations. And that can feel very scary, for someone who's just used to like, this is a big company or this is a, this is an important project. Like, who am I? Because they're highly conscientious. They have the self awareness to know that, you know what? If I make a mistake, this could impact people. Whereas somebody who's not highly self aware, it would be like, doesn't even cross their mind. Right. right? It's, <laughs> so it's that, you know, competence and confidence. Those are two different. Skill sets. So it is hard for people to really, and the best thing is to ask your boss, you know. And again, people, some people have really good mentors, some people have really good skip bosses, and they have those meetings. But at the end of the day, you have to look around and see, you almost have to just make a self assessment because it's not just the work.
1: And yet, nobody tells you that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think some of the worst advice that I've ever gotten, and I consider myself to be a pretty effective communicator for the most part, but earlier in my career, I had gotten the advice, you need to speak up more. You need to speak up more in meetings. And I'd always taken the point of view, if I didn't have something to contribute or some way of moving the conversation forward, I probably shouldn't say anything, which is still the right answer. But what I was failing to do was maybe going that extra step and preparing in advance mm-hmm. to have something exactly, to offer.
0: Exactly, Laura, that's exactly <laughs> it.
1: But I you know, I would get that feedback and I would hear other people, especially women, get the feedback, you just need to speak up more, you need to speak up in meetings, you need to sit at the table. So, Laura, I'm curious, what advice do you give folks in addition to that and sort of as you think about preparing for meetings or preparing to have something to say? What other coaching do you offer your clients to help them think about that and anticipate that need in advance?
0: Oh, so glad you asked that. You're asking such great questions. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> because that is so common. It is so common. And there's lots of reasons people don't speak up. One is that, yes, that they only want to speak up if they're going to really add value. And I think, though, a lot of times people have the bar too high. Right. Overthinking and I say, it. yeah. Yeah. I said that's lower the bar. You can add a little bit of value. You don't have to change the trajectory of history. Just add a little bit of value. So that's one thing. Lower the bar, prepare, think about what's going to be covered on the meeting. And da, da, da. But here is a pro tip to help anybody who has trouble speaking up in meetings. And that is speak up in the first 10 minutes mm. because the longer the meeting goes, it develops this like snowball rolling down the mountain. you get in early and there are three easy ways you can just add value. you're not changing the trajectory of history, but you're adding value to this particular meeting. You can affirm what somebody else has said like aura, that was a really good idea and I think that would you know affirm and add. Affirm it and then add your two cents. Add why you think it's a good idea. Or number three, ask a question. You know, people think, oh, asking questions, I could look dumb. No, ask a good question. Oh, just to make sure I'm following. Is this what you mean? Or what if this? Any kind of question. I think for those of you listening, if you want one thing, one skill set that will help you whether you you know are an electrical engineer, whether you are a plumber, whether you are a software engineer, you have your own business, asking better questions. Because when someone, just like I'm answering your questions, my brain is super engaged and our audience, you could just pull up your mic and lay it on your audience. This is how you build influence, but it's much more interesting in a conversation with give and take, asking questions and the asking the questions, not only do you share information, but the, you build the relationship. So I would say, yes, speak up in the first 10 minutes, ask a question or affirm what somebody else has said, but yes, you do need to speak up, but it, It doesn't have to be life-changing, just move things forward. And, And if, you know, start small and once your brain, see your brain right now is like, goes into freeze and panic mode. What are you doing? Once you start with little, little micro
1: value added, it'll get bigger. Yeah. Laura, I love that advice. That's awesome. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about a topic that's in your terrific book. Your book is called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. I'll include a link in the show note for this episode where you you. guys can pick up Laura's great book. But one of the things that she talks about, which we talk about on this podcast a lot, is mindset and the importance of mindset as it relates to communicating effectively. Laura, talk about why mindset is so important and sort of how you think about the concept.
0: Oh, well, that's so good because if you get mindset right, you don't need anything else. Mm. I mean, the other, I mean, it's helpful, but mindset sets the tone for everything else. And that's why, just like when we tell people, you know, one thing, oh, you need to speak up more. Well, okay, how do I do it? But if I say... How can you add just a teeny bit of value to this meeting? Then you're thinking about the situation in a different way. So the mindset is the filter through which all the possibilities, you know, it's like the filter that determines what you think about. Are you thinking about, oh, when is this going to be over? Or, you know, oh, I don't have anything to say. Are you thinking this meeting is interminable or... If I speak up, I'll sound stupid. All of those things are mindsets, right? They're just ways of thinking about perceiving and filtering out because we cannot possibly take in all the reality; is too much. You know, we have the reticular activating system. So that's, yeah. So how, what is a good mindset? And, you know, there are people, that, the mantras can be good, but I am so, da- you know, down to earth. Like, I'm not going to say... I am queen of the universe and everything that I want is coming my way. Like that, I just can't even. <laughs> but that's some what people I love. Like. Yeah. yeah, some people can. And I'm do. not that person either. <laughs> and it seems to work out for some of them. I don't know. But but Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset was I can get better. You know, I may not be great at this. I can get better at asking questions. I can get better at speaking up effectively, engaging my audience, having that influence. To me, that was life-changing because if you think, like we tend to think it's either or, like, well, I'm not a flaming extrovert, therefore I cannot have influence. Not true. It's a different kind of influence. It's the maybe a quieter, a more personal one. But so many people are thinking, well, I'm Laura, I'm not the kind of person who just talks about herself all the time. I'm not the kind of person who can interrupt somebody that seems rude to me. But if you think, well, what is the mindset that I can, what do I need to get better at? How can I add more value? It shapes the way you're thinking about it. And if you think about it differently, then you're going to speak differently without thinking about it. That's why I think it, and and that if, and also your mindset is an invisible communication to your people around you. If you're thinking, how can I add more value or, you know, what, what's the best way forward or how can I help this person get to the point? Uh, You're, you're, you're thinking about it differently and people respond to you differently.
1: What do you think? Well, you know, I think it's, I think there's a couple pieces I think that it becomes, or you can think about it as the narrative that you create in your own head, mm-hmm. right? It's uh-huh. the story right. that you're telling yourself. It's the story that you're telling the world outside. And so when you calibrate that to focus on what you can learn from the experience versus I'm just not good at X, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, mm-hmm. you sort of calibrate it with that in mind, it really can change the way you view yourself and I think can have a a direct connection related to confidence, right? How you present to the world, how you feel about yourself and the way that you present what you present to the world. So, you know, that's kind of how I have come to to think about the topic. I love the idea of this narrative that runs in our heads. And so we talk a lot about that on this podcast.
0: Well, that was very true. Like what, you know, I always tell people, What is your purpose? Like, why are you at this meeting? Why are you in this conversation? Why are you giving this presentation? And then that helps you focus on what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be contributing, instead of worrying about how are they thinking about, what are they thinking about me? When we both know the reality is they're not thinking about you. At all, right? <laughs> it's all about well, what. What. What can you do for me? What right. have you done for me in the last five minutes?
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love. I love all of that. You talk in the book about sometimes language can be mm-hmm. self-sabotaging, and I'd love for you to talk about that for a second as well, because I think it. It's you know somewhat connected, maybe to this concept of mindset.
0: It is connected to mindset, but it also comes from habit. And I'm sure you have, you're very, very familiar with this. And I've gotten to the point where I really want to shake people when they, for example, over apologize. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Like somebody can be 30 seconds late to a, a, a coaching. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm late. The meeting ran. I'm like, it's okay. You really don't need to put 30 seconds is really not late. I would say if you're within five minutes, you're on time. Like, but you know, it's a, it's a, of course they're doing that out of respect, but that's also like the, the calibration of people's, both parties' time value is, is not, I don't know, it's, it's out of joint or something, but that's a, it's a habit and I don't know, it must come from, you know, wanting to, everybody to be Please. happy and pleased yeah. and it's- yeah. And, and But that is, when you apologize for something that doesn't need to be, a, that's not wrong. Right. I mean, if I steal your purse, I should apologize and give it back to you. Right. But if I accidentally bump into you in the crowded subway Excuse me, I, I, t- well, yeah, I do say in that situation. If you want to say something, say excuse me, but don't say I'm sorry because probably somebody pushed you anyway. But see that language of apology or say or or mitigating. And here's another thing that drives me crazy when when I say, "Oh, Laura, you look so good today." Oh, it's nothing. You know, this is this old sweater <laughs> my grandmother gave it to me five years ago. Like. Then I feel like, well, sorry, I said something, you know, it's like you're insulting the person who, who wanted to express appreciation for how you pulled yourself together. So mitigating like, oh, it was nothing. The thing is, it's this trap that we think it's like, either I'm super braggadocious egomaniac, or I don't say anything. Yeah. And that's not this. It's a spectrum. There's all kinds of ways. And and this is a. Ask yourself, how can I, you know, express appreciation? How can I show up in a way that helps people? Not what are the seven things I should apologize for today? So I think it's again, what is your purpose?
1: and, And and why do you think people apologize? Oh, I think it's pl- I think it's pleasing. I mean, you know, it's men men do this too. But I mean, again, and I'm sorry, I'm, I seem like I'm banging this drum today. And usually, I'm not. I do like men. There's nothing wrong with. Yeah, men. we love men, <laughs> but there are particular either habits or behaviors that that we see more often in women than men, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. can sometimes undermine. Our credibility, not only the credibility that others have in us, but the credibility that we have in ourselves. And I think the apologizing right. piece can really devalue the apology potentially. Right, right? And right. Undermine us as it relates to that. So, Laura, what's maybe alternative language that someone's using when they're struggling with this? Because it is a habit. And I think it sometimes habit. with habits, you've got to replace them potentially with something else. Or that trigger goes off and you say, okay, not that, but this. Maybe right. some examples of a better way to do de- it. You said, you know, say, excuse mm-hmm. me, not I'm sorry. Right. Excuse which is great. me, not I'm
0: sorry. Yes. When people like notice something that you did, compliment you in any way, even if you think they're lying or blind, it doesn't matter. If somebody takes the trouble to say something, if you don't want to say thank you, you could say thank you. You could say, how kind of you to notice. How kind of you to say something. But that is so much more empowering and appreciative and pleasing than, oh, this whole thing. Oh, no, this was nothing. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was nothing or not. You It's it's somebody is... Because when somebody... When we compliment another person, we are in a way like... We, we're saying, I want to be friends with you. I think you're cool. I like you. And that's a good thing. So, so I think it's also... If you want to please other people, you want to be pleasing. Just flip it. How like show appreciation. I think that's a much more empowering way to look at your relationships with other people. Like what is it that I appreciate about Laura Cox Kaplan? What is it that I appreciate about my boss? Those that's a way you can build relationships, keep the energy positive. Even you're not even talking about yourself. You're just so busy appreciating other people, but without putting yourself down.
1: Yeah, forging that connection. It's a Mm -hmm. great way of making that connection. Okay, Laura, I want to pivot just a little and talk about a nice big loaded topic. Another one. Uh,
0: Love it. Love (laughs) those. Let's solve world (laughs) (laughs) hunger right now.
1: (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Tomorrow. Okay, we'll do that tomorrow. (laughs) We're kind of busy today. (laughs) We're going to talk about emotion and how to get the balance right as it relates to emotion because emotion can be really important in our in communicating effectively there's got to be a balance so maybe give us some great advice for how to think about that and again, back to the gender question, how emotion can sometimes maybe work against one gender in a way that it might not against another? Talk about, give me your views on
0: that. Oh, yes. Well, definitely. I do see that more in women, I think with, but also with men, but it's just a different, I mean, men do have problems. I once was talking to uh, somebody whose expertise was about like how you dress, and I made very typical female. Oh, men have it so easy; they don't have to wear makeup. And this woman said, "You would be surprised; they have problem with hair growing in the wrong places." I was like, "Ooh!" She was like, "And other problems that you don't think about. So don't think that they have it." that easy all the time. So, they have it yeah. pretty easy, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, well as far it seems like it they just have to put on a suit yes. and everybody thinks <laughs> they look fabulous, right? But they do have <laughs> other issues. So, emotion. I think that first of all that the emotions, you know, are important. Emotions help our messages stick. But when emotions get us into trouble when it's inappropriate, it's And I'm not saying that you become a robot. I'm not saying you you never cry at work because sometimes it's something really sad. But what I have observed in my clients who have problems with emotion is that because they're too tired, they're trying to do too much. So they're what they're cushion around yourself, like you arrive. If you've had a good night's sleep and, you know, coffee and and something to eat and you're not having low blood sugar, you're just in a better place to deal with all the stuff that's going to happen in a day. That's why we talk about self-care. It's I think self-care is the beginning of emotional appropriateness because it just, it's like this. A friend of mine... I did this not happen to me. I did not ever have to go to school for bad driving, you know, getting a ticket. But a friend of mine <laughs> <Lucky> did. <you. laughs> and she told me about it, about learning her defensive driving. And she said that if you think about your car and you want to keep this like space around your car as a defensive mechanism to avoid accidents. And, and in a way, we need that space around ourselves in the form of, you know, quiet time, walk. If you get a massage once a month, good for you. But it doesn't even have to go that far. But some, you know, where you feel like pretty good and you're not going to hit it every single day because we all have bad days. But to me, you cannot talk about emotional regulation without talking about getting enough sleep. You know, that that to me is the beginning. So so that's a part of it. Another thing is that evokes inappropriate emotional responses sometimes is when you're ambushed. Now, this is happening less in the remote working context because nobody can come to your cubicle and say, I need to see you in my office right now. <laughs> but let's huh? say that some version of that happens to you. I, Laura, I need to see you in my office. You can say, oh, I was just going to the bathroom I'll be there in just a second. You do not have to like drop everything you're doing. Even if it is the president, you can say, oh, right, I just go to the bathroom, breathe in deeply. Obviously, it's probably not good news, but, you know, at least if you have a second to just pull yourself together a little bit, it's easier to take. So, so those are, this is my thinking on preventing meltdowns to put it, you know, the most break. And, but if you have, we've all had meltdowns. They are going to happen. You just don't want them on a regular basis, right? And right. and and so that so that's one. On the other hand, that positive emotion when you say, "I'm so excited, we got this done." That's a positive emotion. That's also very. All the emotions are contagious. So if you're having a bad day, everybody that works for you is going to try not to bother you. If you're having a good day, everybody wants to be around you. But what you can think about if you have the presence of mind and I know everybody's stressed for time is to think about what emotion do I want to bring to this meeting? Is it what, you know, there's a a tool I learned from a copywriter was the feel no do. What do I want my audience to feel? What do they need to know? What do we need to do? I think it's really good to manage your own emotions the best you can, but also to think what is the emotional tenor That I want, you know, is this a meeting like, guys, we need to pull it together or we're going to have serious problems or is it, hey, I want to see more socialization. I want to see more engagement. Is it everybody lighten up? I feel like, you know, we're at a funeral. What is, be aware of that and realize that you can move the emotions up and down a little bit. If you're feeling really bad, I don't think you can talk yourself into jumping for joy, but What I try to do when I'm feeling bad is like, just let's try to go into neutral.
1: Yeah. Or just take that pause. I mean, as you were saying before, you know, the, oh, just a second, I'm going to run to the bathroom. The running to the bathroom can just be you stopping and pausing and asking yourself those questions that you just ticked through to remind yourself, okay, yeah, I'm feeling a little triggered here. This is making me very uncomfortable. How can I? How can I shift the story potentially? But it's but it, you're recommending that pause, which I think is such a powerful way of maybe getting control of yourself. if, having, is, if you have a tendency yes, to be, yes, just <laughs> fly off the handle. And, and now
0: that you're mentioning pausing, <laughs> let me tell everybody listening. You know that pause is good for emotional right. Like if you're feeling triggered, you can like. Would you explain to me what this situation, Laura? And you're like. <laughs> Shoot! So you can pause yeah. and say, "Yes, I I can explain that. This is what happened. It's a pause. It not only helps you pull yourself together; it helps everybody to just calm down a little bit. So yeah, and it also adds gravitas. So that's another executive communication tip: is that pause. Anytime you're feeling like this needs to land, just. Say what you're going to, you know, give a little intro. Yes, I'll be happy to answer that. This is what I think. This is why this is important. And when you just pause and slow down, then everybody calms down a little bit. So that's another
1: tip for you. I love that. I love that. Laura, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a
0: total pleasure. This was so much fun. Um, I, I guess I love getting to talk about my favorite topic. My family is, for some reason, tired of hearing about all these great nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> so I'm super happy to get to. It's so funny yeah, that you say that. <laughs> yeah. So it's great to have somebody to talk shop with. It's a total pleasure <laughs> to be here.
1: I loved it, too. I loved it, too.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Laura Cox, Kaplan and Laura Camacho. How's that for a lot of Laura's, a lot of wisdom. I really hope that you're getting that success and career has a lot to do with communication, but it's a lot of tweaks. Obviously, you know how to express yourself. It's a matter of expressing yourself in a way that make people want to follow you and want to do what you want them to do. That's the whole point of this. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with people who need this and please leave a review. That helps us. It helps us help other people and say something that you got out of it. And we would very much appreciate it Have a fantastic day. Thank you for tuning in and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.